So, uh, with that, um, Acts chapter 9. Our text this morning is going to go from um, Acts 9, uh, verse 32, all the way to Acts 11, verse 18. And it, it, it's a big section. Um, but this series, this, this, is a, this series is called Empowered to Participate. It's all about how the church is empowered to participate in the transformational mission of God. Um, this, this series is kind of a sampling of the book of Acts. It's not like a full Bible study or like an expositional series. But the, the reason why I lumped all of this section together today um, is because, you know, are, are you, have, you, have, you, have anybody been watching The, uh, the Chosen show? Like, like, yeah, I just started. I'm late to the party, but my goodness, this thing is fantastic. It's a, if you're not familiar, it's a, it's a, it's a Jesus show. It's, a, it's, a, it's not like a Jesus movie. It's, a, it's, it's multiple you know, seasons of, of the life of Christ and the life of, of his church, um, and it's just fantastic. So I've kind of, I was having this in my head, and I think if, if our story, I don't know if they're going to go through Acts, um, but if they do, I think that the text for today, everything from 9.32 and Acts to 11.18, would be a great, like, one episode. Because um, I, I think that if, this, if Acts was like a TV drama, the various scenes of this section of, of text would all, like, make up the same episode. On last week's episode, we saw that um, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, the man who would go on to become who? Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? In the story, good. Somebody was paying attention over here. That's good, Justin. Um, In the story of Saul's conversion, we hear from God that Saul was to be his chosen instrument to carry the name, to carry his name to to Jew and Gentile alike, even to the likes of kings. So, what is a Gentile? You ask. Basically, a Gentile is anyone who isn't ethnically Jewish. Now, for us a group of, of probably, I'm guessing, but largely Gentiles, it, it might seem a bit obvious that the gospel, and Christianity for that matter, is for all of us. Uh, not to mention, if, if they had been paying attention, the disciples should have seen this coming long ago. At the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus tells the guys to, to go and make disciples of every nation, and right at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus tells them that they would be his witnesses even to the ends of the earth, and then Saul's conversion and the instruction, this instruction that he would be God's chosen vessel to the Gentiles, makes it all the more clear that this Jesus message wasn't just going to be for Jews. No, as we've, as we've talked about many times before, Israel was God's rescue mission for the world. We see this in Genesis 12 with God's call to Abram. We're about to see that Jesus wasn't just the Messiah of Israel, he was Israel's Messiah for the world. Let's not forget that, that this would have been difficult for some of them, though. I mean, especially for somebody like Peter. Um, have you ever, you, ever, uh, you know, it's like the first time you went on a roller coaster. Um, you, you, you see, maybe you see it on TV, you see it on a, on a YouTube clip of a roller coaster, and you're like, yeah, I might want to do that. And then you go and you buy a ticket, and then you drive to the Hershey Park or the Six Flags, the Kingdom Dominion or whatever it is, 
and, and you go to the, 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 this place and you stand in line and you, and you get in and then you, you're walking into the amusement park and there's the roller coaster in the distance and you're like, oh man, I'm really walking towards this. And you get there and then there's, of course, a huge line to get into the roller coaster and you know, you're just inching forward like, yeah, I'm really going to do this. And it's not until you're actually in the car, strapped in, and now you're like going up that you're like, I'm actually doing this. Oh, I, oh we're, we're really doing this now. That, that's kind of like what's going on with the church right now. Yeah, they probably had seen this coming. They probably had been figuring that, yeah, this, this gospel message is actually going to go out to the ends of the earth. This is actually going to be a Gentile thing for the Gentiles as well. But now, kind of in Acts for the first time, the roller coaster is kind of moving up that hill. Luke tells us that Saul met up with the church in Jerusalem, but then in order to help us make that roller coaster climb, Luke cuts away from Saul, cuts away from Paul, and um, we, we go back for the moment, we go back to a character that we are quite familiar with, Peter. Lots of stories about Peter in the New Testament. We get two stories, though, right up front at the end of chapter 9 in Acts, of Peter doing some miraculous healings. The passage opens up with Peter healing this paralyzed man from uh, Lydda, or Luda, or however you want to pronounce it. Uh, this guy named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years. We're told that Peter comes up to him and says in verse 34, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, get up, and make your bed. Don't you love that he tells him to make his bed? You know, other translations say, you know, roll up your mat. I, I, I'm, I'm sure you, you might have heard that, that making your bed, you know, is, it's what's called a, a keystone habit, um, a habit that has a, like a positive effect down the line. They go make your bed, exercise daily, prepare a meal for others. Like these are things that might not seem like much in and of themselves, but they kind of have this, this positive domino effect on other aspects of your life. So make your bed. But, you know, this is a tiny thing. But, but healing, as, we're, as we have seen repeatedly throughout the Bible, repeatedly throughout the, the life of Jesus, throughout the life of the church, healing happens for a reason. The, you were not healed. If you've experienced any healing in Christ, you were not healed in order to just sit down and have a great one and, you know, you're, you're done with, with, with life. No, there's always a purpose in healing. One commentator puts it this way. His healing, this paralytic, and hence his ability to get up, entails doing something. In this case, it was something as simple as making the bed and walking about so that others could see what Jesus Christ had done for him. His healing led to wholeness and fruitfulness. From, from his healing onward, Aeneas was going to be able to spread out his own sleeping mat and, perhaps more importantly, help others who could no longer do it for themselves. His actions and the testimony of his own life become this twin proclamation of the good news of Jesus. That is the story of Aeneas. Then we get another scene, and this is the second story, and this one is ooh, so touching. In Joppa, there was a woman named Tabitha, who was also called Dorcas or the gazelle. She was a disciple of Jesus. Tabitha was a disciple of Jesus who was known for good works and for charity 
especially um, because what she did was that she made clothing for others. Um, In a world of poverty, someone who ministers to others by making them clothes, actually what they're doing is helping others find their own dignity and their own honor. I mean, has anyone ever made you something? Has anybody ever made you something by hand, crafted something for you? Maybe it was a blanket or something or wood whittled or something. I don't know. It, it might have taken them hours to make, hours and hours, but, but they made it for you. They made it with care. They, they took the time. They, they maybe they, they, they spent that time praying for you as they, they crafted this thing that they wanted to give you because they felt you're worth it. You have dignity in my eyes. You have love. You have honor. You're honored in my eyes. You're worth it. That's what Tabitha did for the widows in her community. And, and these widows, they, they cherished the things that, that she had made. They held onto those garments because they reminded them of, of her, and, and they reminded them of God's love. God's love was expressed in Tabitha making these garments for them. But, but one day, Tabitha becomes ill, and she dies. And, and the community that had been so blessed by her, this community just mourns. And, and what they do is they, they send for Peter. I mean, I don't know if they knew exactly what it was they were hoping Peter would do. But they send for Peter because they heard he was nearby, um, in, in Lydda. And Peter comes and, and, and he, he arrives at the scene and he's taken upstairs to where Tabitha's body has been laid out. And he enters the room and Acts tells us that all the women were weeping and mourning around Tabitha's bedside. And what are they doing? They're clutching. They're holding on to these garments that she had made for them. And he asks for the, the women to leave. And then once they're all out of the room, he, he, he gets down on his knees and he's He starts to pray, and he turns to the body of Tabitha, and he says, Tabitha, arise. And she opens her eyes, and she sits up. Maybe I hope Peter was even surprised at that, right? Her her friends were probably listening from outside the room, but but Peter calls them, and he calls everybody up, and, and he shows Tabitha's alive. You know, bringing people back from the dead, you know, isn't a common occurrence in the Bible. It, but, but in every instance, um, it's there to show us this, this new creation, resurrection power of God. Because in Christ, dead people are made alive. That's, that's what baptism is all about. Dead people are made alive. That happens every time a person gives their life to Christ. A dead person is made alive. We were dead in our sins. We are alive in Christ. But actually bringing people back from the dead, that's admittedly special. So why was Tabitha brought back to life in in that particular way? You know, I I think clearly it was was used at the time to, to spread the gospel, right? But but how did that happen? I think, I think it had something to do with this, the faithfulness of Tabitha and this community, the, the ministry that she had towards the widows in her community and therefore the larger community of, of her region. I think Peter could see that healing Tabitha, bringing Tabitha back to life like that would have such an impact, that Tabitha had such an impact on these women's lives that, that through this miracle, um, the, the, he would use her healing as a way to spread the gospel 
like wildfire. Just like when he saw Aeneas um, healing, just like when he, when, when, when he saw Aeneas walk again, uh, healing, when Tabitha rose, healing is to be partnered with purpose. There was a reason why he, he, he brought Tabitha back to life to, to show the glory of God. Healing is always to be partnered with purpose. But then the scene shifts again. But it's clear, by the way, that we're still in the same episode. While Peter is celebrating, he's celebrating, everybody's having a good time, he's celebrating with these followers in Joppa, Luke tells us, now we're at the beginning of chapter 10, of a man in Caesarea named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius, a different character than a paralyzed man or uh, Tabitha, um, Cornelius was a centurion, a centurion of the Italian cohort, or the Italian, Italian regiment. Uh, he was an individual who represented the might of Rome. And we're also told that he was a God-fearing, devout man who, along with his household, gave generously to the poor. He was known for giving to the poor, and he was also known for praying continually, it says, constantly praying to God. This man was a Gentile, and, and he wasn't just any old Gentile, right? He was a representative of the great Satan, the Roman Empire who had oppressed and occupied the people of God, not to mention played a crucial role in the crucifixion of Jesus. Caesarea, where Cornelius lived, was designed and rebuilt by Herod the Great to function as the seat of Roman administration in the province of Judea. It's from Caesarea that Rome said, I'm in charge here. It was named, Caesarea was named after Caesar Augustus, you know, Caesar Augustus, the son of the god Julius Caesar. Um, Caesar Augustus, who had ushered in the season of Pax Romana, the peace of Rome by the sword of Rome. But here in Acts, we're told of this Roman soldier, this centurion, who evidently was a God-fearing, charitable, praying man, perhaps Perhaps not quite a Jewish proselyte, because maybe he didn't want to give up his position as a centurion, or maybe he, didn't, he wasn't too keen to volunteer for that particular surgery. Um, but we do know that, that he wouldn't have been Peter's first choice for a close friend. But one day, Cornelius has a vision. He's the only Gentile, by the way, in the New Testament to receive a vision like this. And, and one afternoon, we're told it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm not sure that, that's, you know, why that's important, but we're told that. One afternoon, he, he sees a vision of an angel who tells him that his prayers and his alms have ascended as a memorial before God. It's interesting language. We might, it, 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 another translation might have said, his prayers and his alms have ascended as a memorial offering before God. To, to a Hebrew, a memorial offering would have been a, a sacrificed share of the harvest that reminded the people that the all, entire harvest ultimately belonged to God. And so the, the Gentiles, right, represented a ripe harvest. You know, imagine, you know, Israel, the Gentiles represented a worldwide ripe harvest. And Cornelius' devotion had evidently been seen by God 
as the first fruits that the great commission was indeed headed to the ends of the earth. And so the angel says to, to Cornelius, Cornelius, you got to go meet this guy, Peter. He, he's in Joppa right now. He just brought somebody back from life. You know, he, he, he's staying in a tanner's house by the sea. You know, send for him. Now, again, this might have been awkward. You know, imagine you're Peter. I mean, if, if, if you're like sitting at home one day watching TV and like someone knocks on your door, you answer the door and it's somebody from like the local military base and saying, we need to see you immediately. You know, some, somebody needs to see you right now. You might be a little hesitant. Peter might have been a little hesitant when a centurion sent for him, you know? So this might have actually been a little awkward for Cornelius. Like, you really, you want me to send for, for that guy? You know, they, they, he might not like me very much. But Cornelius does what he's told. And his messengers leave to go see Peter. And while they're on their way, the scene cuts back. The scene cuts back to Peter, who was in Joppa. Now, Peter is, is staying by the sea. Um, he, he, he's, he's on a roof of, of the house where he's staying. And he's staying at the home of, of this guy, Simon the Tanner. Um, a tanner, if you don't know. A tanner is somebody who works with um, animal carcass, into turning animal carcass into leather. Um, and unfortunately, tanners were despised by Jews and Gentiles alike. They had to work with some rather disgusting materials. So um, Peter actually may have been on the roof in order to avoid the smell. Um, but while he's praying, Peter also sees a vision. This is Acts 10, uh, verse 10. While he was praying, he became very hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, so supposedly he had other people preparing his food for him, he fell into a trance. The word trance implies that he was outside himself. And he saw the heavens opened up and something like a great sheet descending, like a picnic blanket, or, or like, it's like that, that parachute we had the other day uh, at, at, at Refresh. You know. Anyway, something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. You know, four corners, you think we think about the four corners of the earth. So obviously what is about to happen is, is, is good, about to talk about the whole earth, the whole Gentile ripe harvest. It, in it, in this blanket, were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter says, by no means, Lord, for I, I have never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And a voice came to him again a second time. Hey, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, this would have, made, this would have been enough to make anyone feel a little bit perplexed. Peter was basically the, the shepherd of the church, right? He, was, he, more than most, wanted to make sure that he was a good Jew. But Peter has learned before about what happens when you say no to God. You might remember that whole get-behind-me-Satan incident. But before he can think too much about it, the Spirit, the Spirit speaks to Peter and says, Hey, there's someone at the door. Uh, these three guys, they're looking for you. Get up. Funny. Get up. That's the same thing he said to Aeneas. It's the same thing he said to, uh, to, to Tabitha. Um, now it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God telling Peter, get up. It, it, is a work of healing 
about to happen to Peter? Maybe healing with, with purpose attached to it? Healing somehow connected to a sacred community? The Holy Spirit tells him, hey, go on downstairs, meet with these men, hear what they have to say. You are to accompany them without hesitation. It was about a half day's journey from Joppa to Caesarea, so we could forgive them for not leaving immediately. But the next day, along with a few others from Joppa, they accompany, they all, they, this whole party goes back to see Cornelius. Um, and when they finally arrive, Peter... This Jewish kind of shepherd of the church, of Jesus' church, uh, he goes up, he enters Cornelius' house, this house of a Roman centurion. These two guys, everything the world would have told them would that they, they're supposed to butt heads. Everything the world was telling them was this, you guys are not on the same team. But Peter walks into this room and this mighty Roman centurion falls at Peter's feet and begins to worship him. <laughs> I kind of imagine that Peter in that moment was like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> but no, 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 Peter says, get up again, get up, stand up. I'm just a man. You're just a man, I'm just a man, stand up. But by now, you know, this, was, this encounter was kind of attracting a crowd and, and Peter says to everyone gathered, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Now there's the real heart of the issue. And maybe it, maybe it didn't click. Maybe it didn't click for Peter until that very moment. Maybe in that moment it just all fell together for Peter, this episode. The power that he had been given, the healing of Aeneas, the paralyzed man, the, uh, the, heal, the, the, the bringing back to life of, of, this, of Tabitha, this compassionate widow, the, the picnic blanket, the, God telling him to eat these things that he had previously called unclean. It was all starting to fall together for him now. The problem was never dietary restrictions. Dietary restrictions remind Israel of their identity in God. Their identity was rooted in the promise that through Israel, God was going to heal the world. That's Genesis 12. That's the call of Abraham. But Peter, here's the thing, Peter had been treating people the way that he had treated food. Peter had been dividing the world up, of, he'd been dividing people up into clean and unclean, common and uncommon, ordinary and, and, and unordinary, righteous and unrighteous, worthy and unworthy, in and out, us and them. And now God was saying, no more, no more. If God is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. One commentator says, one cannot have a Lord who is Lord of only part of creation. The church that Jesus is making will be Jew plus Gentile. The whole world will be blessed by Christ, just as the whole world will be judged by Christ. The whole world is under the, the sovereignty of King Jesus. He is King Jesus, the, the one true King of all. All will be held account, held to account by Lord Jesus. And, and that means that we're all in this together, family. 
our fundamental identity, the, the fundamental human existence question, the fundamental question of human existence is not Jew or Gentile. It's, is Jesus Lord? Jesus looks all of us, Jew and Gentile, all of humanity, Jesus looks us in the eye and he says, who do you say that I am? So Cornelius, he, he tells Peter about his vision. And then what does Peter do? It must have been, don't, don't underestimate how, how not, maybe not awkward, maybe not difficult, but, but certainly um, how special this was for Peter. What Peter does in response to Cornelius' words is he shares the gospel. Verse 34, chapter 10, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and done what is, does what is right is acceptable to him. And then he tells them about Jesus. He tells them the story of Jesus' life, the story of Jesus' death, the story of Jesus' resurrection. And he tells him about how Jesus is the one appointed by God to, to judge the living and the dead. To Jesus, Peter says down to verse 43, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Everyone. Everyone. Even you, Cornelius. And I need to get that. Forgiveness of sins through his name. Acts tells us that the Holy Spirit then fell on, on all who heard this. The, the Jewish folks who were there were just amazed that they, they saw before their eyes the gift of the, of the Spirit poured out onto Gentiles. We're even told that, um, that, that many of them uh, were speaking in tongues, which is why um, many have called this, some have called this passage the Gentile Pentecost. And now, just like it was with Saul of Tarsus, once they heard and believe the gospel, once, you know, dead and alive, once they entered the after part, before and after, once they entered the after part of their before and after story, they were baptized. Baptized just like, just like their Jewish brethren. They were baptized by their Jewish brethren. And then at the beginning of chapter 11, we see, we don't have too much time to go into this, but we see Peter go back to the church in Jerusalem and reports all of this. And he recounts the whole story, the vision, the picnic blanket, the instructions to eat things that he'd never eaten before, traveling to Caesarea, meeting Cornelius, watching the Holy Spirit of Israel's God come on to these Gentiles, to a Roman centurion. Peter knew this would have been a hard pill for them to swallow, but he, he gave it to them all honesty, honestly, as honestly as he could, and he, and he asked them, you know, okay, guys, who was I to, to stand in God's way? Indeed. I mean, we, we've been here before, right? This, this is Matthew, the tax collector. This is the Good Samaritan. This is the woman at the well. This is Galatians 3. This is countless other times when the Holy Word of God instructs us to love the stranger. The person you thought that was an outcast. The person you thought was an outsider. Maybe, maybe you didn't say it out loud, but inwardly you were just thinking, well, not, not them, Lord, right? I mean, who is it for you? Who is it for me? Who is it for you that, that if they walked in right now and they sat next to you, you'd ooh, squirm a little bit? It's okay to admit it. I mean, remember, <clears throat> the Jews had good reason not to trust Roman centurions. 
The miracle here isn't that differences don't matter. The miracle here is not that there aren't consequences for our past. The miracle is that the love of Christ overturns them. Because who are we to stand in God's way? So yeah, today, the 4th of July, our nation's 245th birthday. And I don't want to force anything into this passage for today. The truth of the matter is we would have preached this passage whether it was the 4th of July or not. It wasn't until afterwards that I realized, oh, look at that, 4th of July is a Sunday this year. This was like last year that I was planning this. But I will add this in closing. I am proud to be a part of a nation that holds these truths to be self-evident that all men, all humanity, are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, rights that can't be taken away from them. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I am very proud that those words are a part of my story. They're a part of my identity. I'm glad that I'm an American. And Paul, it's not a but, it's a and, Paul, who reminds us that, that true eternal freedom is, is found only in Christ alone. Paul says this in Galatians about freedom. If you want to talk about freedom, this is what Paul says about freedom. He says, you are called to freedom, brothers, sisters. But here's the thing. Don't use your freedom, the freedom that you have in Christ. Don't use that as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity to just do anything you want. Use your freedom to love and serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in this one thing. Guys, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The problem is if we bite and devour one another, we have to watch out that we're not consumed by one another. Peter and, and Cornelius, if, if, if they don't watch out, if they, if they continue to live into the division, if they continue to live into the us and them mentality, eventually they're just going to devour each other. Eventually, if we keep attacking each other, if we keep committing ourselves to political rhetoric, rather than Christ-centered loving discourse, we will do more harm than good. And justice will not be done if we continue on that line. We have not only the responsibility, but the freedom in Christ to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We have the freedom in Christ to love our enemies, to love the outsider, the stranger. We have the freedom in Christ to love anyone that we might have considered other. Will that mean that work will need to be done? Absolutely. It's not just a pie-in-the-sky, cushy love that we're just going to say, oh yeah, nothing matters in the past. No, the past does matter, and we're going to need to have honest conversations about reconciliation, about healing. But, but the thing is, we have the freedom to do that work in Christ. Why? Because that's who we were to God. We were separated from Him, from the, the eternal holy God. We were separated from Him in sin, but we were brought close we were all brought into the family of God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We were all brought in and we were told, you know, Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot were told, you guys are on the same team. Peter, the, the, the apostle Peter, the, the cornerstone of the church, was told that a, that a Roman centurion, you guys are on the same team. What, what would it look like for us as the church 
to put down our, our labels and to pick up our identity in Christ and say, yeah, even though we have differences, we have the freedom to work through them in loving generosity because Christ first loves us, I can love you. That's the idea. So I just would ask you right now in closing just to think, who is it? Is there anybody that comes to mind? Maybe not, it's okay. But maybe, but is there anybody that would come to mind for you that might be the person that you keep at arm's length? The person that maybe, maybe some work needs to be done. Maybe, maybe there's a reminder that God's going to lay on your heart to say, you know what, no, that, that person is on my team. That, that person is my brother. That person is my sister. And I have a responsibility in Christ to love them as I love myself. In fact, if I take Christ's words seriously, if I take Paul's words seriously, I have a responsibility to put their needs above my own. <laughs> and maybe if I put, my needs, put their needs above my own and they put my needs above their own, then maybe that's what reconciliation looks like. Maybe that's what healing looks like. Maybe that's what the purpose of the church of Jesus Christ looks like. Let's pray. Lord, Father in heaven, we, your church, we give this day to you. Um, whatever freedom is, we give it to you, and we ask that we can follow your lead to use the freedom that we have been given, use the gift of freedom that we've been given in order to be the church for a broken world. And Father, we do thank you as, as, as broken and divided as our nation is. We do thank you for this, this foundation um, of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, these, these fundamental principles that we have in, in this world. Our nation is far from perfect, but Lord, um, we do ask, we, we, we give you thanks for it. We give you thanks for this system of, of government that you've, that you've given us, and we just pray that we would take every opportunity to be the church even here and now, even in our community, even in our state, even in our, in our country, even in this world, that we would all know we are all one in Christ. Father, help us to see that the blessings that we have are not things to hoard, are not things to hold away. The blessings we have are to be used to be a blessing to others. That's what it means, blessed to be a blessing. That's the church. Father, we give this whole day to you. I pray for the men, the women, the children, everybody who's hearing my voice right now, that they would be uh, hearing your voice of love and joy and peace. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.